You are listening to highlights from the creative process interview with Elizabeth Carter on the topic of Woodrow Wilson House. This interview was supported by Jan Michalski Foundation. I have three missions, or these are three pillars of topics of conversation, ideas for exhibitions, and really discussions that we want to bring to life at the house. And those are stories of African Americans, racial conflict, and social justice, as well as women and women's stories and women's suffrage. And then finally, Wilson's international legacy and how he was seen after the Great War. And I think those three topics are topics. Topics that resonate today. And so even though they're 100 years old and there are issues that he faced in his、uh, presidency, these are topics that are still relevant. I mean, we're still talking about social and racial justice. We're still talking about women being enfranchised and women not just in the vote, but having positions in board of directors and in museums and in companies and corporations across the United States. And then, of course, internationally. No matter who the president is, they're forced to face a world that is global and connected. And the United States is a very big part of that. What would he want to be remembered for? Well, I can tell you what Edith would like him to be remembered for. And that, of course, is the League of Nations contributing to being one of the first president to be in Europe during his presidency to be helping negotiate at the Treaty of Versailles, taking a real meeting kings and the Pope and creating this whole sense of who the United States really is, putting us on the center stage. As a country and as a, a power. And I think that that's something that she would have liked to have seen. And that's why she's created the Woodrow Wilson House and made this a site and donated to the National Trust. And we have a baseball, which was signed by King George V on the day the war stopped in London. It was actually United States Independence Day, July 4th. And it was an exhibition baseball game between the US Army team and the US Navy team. And King George V was there, although he thought he was going to throw out the first pitch, which was something that they started to do at that time. Because of security, he couldn't throw it out, but he did sign it. George V, and he held on to it, asked to have it come back. The ball was pitched, but he did not pitch it. And then it came back and he delivered it to Woodrow Wilson. He knew Wilson was a big fan of baseball. That baseball is our most highly requested item to go on an exhibit. And I share that I think that that baseball is so much more than just a baseball. And it goes back to our conversation about America and the difference between Wilson and how he would want to be remembered. And one of the things is that. That day in London, it was United States independence from England. And it's not where the king comes to watch an exhibition baseball game during World War I, but of the United States playing our exhibition baseball game. Now, baseball is a quintessential American sport. No Brits are playing baseball. And yet, On our Independence Day, the King comes to watch that game with his family, as well as many, many Londoners. And I like to think that that is 
really a turning point in American history where it's not just we're in, invited to part and pleaded with to come engage in World War I, and we become a social and economic and political and, and diplomatic player in the world, but we also now become a player in our culture. We are exporting our culture for the first time. That's really remarkable that that one baseball which we have, which now goes on exhibit, you know, goes on tour, really symbolizes something that's very different from anything else. And it's not political, it's not social, economic, it is culture. And as you know, in Paris, American culture is really present. And I like to think it stems back to that day where we've got the king watching an American pastime in London. So I can't say what Woodrow Wilson would have wanted. I don't know. I can read, I do the research, but I would never dare to say what Woodrow Wilson would have wanted beyond knowing that he wanted, you know, a vision of world peace through the League of Nations. But I do know what I would like to see and what my staff would like to see and how we go about approaching that. And that is educating our youth and educating even our more mature youth like myself when we have discussions where we're talking about conversations that we didn't know about before or educating our youth to come in and learn about social and racial justice at the Wilson House. We got back in the car and that boy went back to walking behind a cow, an ox, for the rest of the afternoon. And my son got into a car with us to see the rest of Asia. And I just thought it was so poignant that there are two young boys, same age, same interest, and yet they're living these extraordinarily different lives. This one boy is living almost in the Stone Age where his whole afternoon is gonna be spent in, behind a cow. And my son has the opportunity to see the world and to learn different languages and to travel. So fast forward, I took a picture that day of those two boys just to remind me of that afternoon. And fast forward, we moved to Washington. I meet someone who knows someone about Myanmar and we start talking. There are not many Americans who had been to Myanmar and learned about Shanta and what the foundations were and that they go into the villages of the Shan people. That's why Shan, Shanta, the Shan people, where the military is not interested in them. The, no one's interested in them. They are in the most remote hills with very little services. They have formal education to the third grade. It is really the Stone Age. And my husband and I decided we would get involved. We had seen that and we knew that and we knew that life and we knew that were it not for people like us, they are forgotten. These people are truly forgotten. And we chose to put some money into Shanta and we've been donating every year. We support a village. The model of how Shanta works is really fascinating in terms of self-sustaining and sustainability. And it was really the model that they use that attracted us to making the donation. It's not really like we're donating. It's really truly an investment. The village needs to choose how they're going to use their money, what they'll invest in. My husband and I went back to Myanmar on a trip to the villages, into the villages where we lived in the huts and used 
a hole in the ground for the bathroom. I mean, it was really very remote. We lived there for two weeks, about three or four years ago. And we got to see how our investment was made. And it was really remarkable to see the progress in the villages. We also created and supported a school. We support students every year. And now our students have grown up and some of them are going off to college, which is rather remarkable because these are students, they come from the village, they never would have had that opportunity were it not for us helping those students go to school. In terms of the corruption in Myanmar and flawed leadership, which I can appreciate as representing the Woodrow Wilson House, I understand that by no fault of the Shan people that they're caught in the crossfires of democracy. And so we continue to support them and that cause, despite what's going on in the country. I have to say, one of the ways that I think we can protect the democracy is to continue the conversation about racial and social justice, whether it's in Myanmar or in Paris or in Washington, D.C., I think civilization is ripe for that conversation. And I think, especially in the United States, in museums and the museum world, it's important to have that as one of the forefronts, something that we address and we're very open about and we confront that history head on. And that's how we approach what we do at the Wilson House. I truly do think that is a step to creating a better place. I think the crossfires of democracy, some of it happens because we're not educated about facts of what really happened. And so some of these speaker series discussions are really about sharing facts and helping educate grown people like myself who never learned things in some of these topics when I was in grade school. And I think, why did I learn that? How come I didn't know that? And so even as an adult, even at my age, learning something new that takes me one step closer to understanding a more perfect union. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.